0: Hello, this is Les Goldberg and welcome to The Road Ahead. The Road Ahead podcast is dedicated to the future of the live events business, bringing together industry experts. Hello Production World, this is Les Goldberg and The Road Ahead. Today I have two amazing guests. I have Stephen Revelino who's the executive producer and owner of 8C. I have Chris Drury, the chief creative officer and president of Drury Design. Guys, welcome to the show.
1: Hey Les. Hey
0: Steven. Hello, Les. Hey, Chris. Guys, this show today is dedicated to about how we have fun and all the things that we enjoy about doing in live events. I know the world's upside down, but the live event business is, a, is still a lot of fun. And when we get back to it, we're still going to be able to have some level of that fun. So I just want to start this by throwing it to Stephen and say, Stephen, tell me what's the most fun thing about doing live events?
2: Wow, um, the most fun thing for me about doing um, corporate events, uh, meetings, and spe- special events is the fact that there's one performance. Um, there's no opportunity for e- er- error. It's got to be perfect, and I think um, you get the same kind of an energy than you would if you were doing a broadcast of the uh, of a live show, the Grammy Awards, the MTV. It's live. One shot. You got. And I think that's really what gives me the, uh, the excitement, the,
0: the energy of making sure it's right. You know, I, I, I know the one way you can get people to scream is by turning the lights out and as the performance is starting. Chris, what is your thought on the most fun thing in doing live events?
1: I think, you know, just to amplify what Stephen is saying, it is watching the faces of the audience as they see something that you've created. It could be something that's unexpected, a surprise. It could be something that we know we're hoping to get a specific reaction, whether it is, you know, crying, laughing, applauding, whatever it might be. And, you know, you work really, really hard on creating that moment. Uh, And for us, it's all about moments. Um, And when you see that moment become realized, uh, that's what's fun for me. That's what's rewarding for me is, you know, um, working hard to get that moment that matters to matter.
0: That is interesting. The moment that matters to matter. You know, this is my 37th year in the business. And uh, I started as a kid. And I'm curious, Stephen, how did you get in this business, and how did you end up being an executive producer, putting on these big shows? Uh, <laughs> wow. Okay, we're going to go back in time a bit now. <laughs> uh, we can go in the time machine. It's okay. It's okay.
2: It's okay. So I, um, I, well, I was going to NYU. I graduated
0: with a uh, with a degree in philosophy. Believe it or not, that sounds like a very good thing to have, Chris. If you were going to do, you know, try and see what matters matters. Philosophy. Exa- exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, you graduate
2: and everything is great. And then you begin to say, "Okay, I have a degree in philosophy. Now what? You know, so um, I've always been interested in theater. I had a cousin who was on on Broadway in the 50s and 60s. And when I was little, my parents used, used to take me and I loved it. So I needed to get a job and I found a job, believe it or not, at the New York Shakespeare Festival which is now called the pub, the public theater joseph papp was still there and i and the only job i can get was as a receptionist in the casting department it's a it's a foot in the door it's a foot in the door and um, i hated this job <laughs> i i didn't like it because you know all the actors are coming to me with uh, with their photos and their resumes and they're they're bringing me cookies and bottles of wine for me to get their their resume on the top of the pile you know and, uh, and then I hear in the meetings that they're never going to hire this person. They're never going to hire her. So I, I was at lunch one day in the cafeteria at the public theater, and I was kind of complaining about the job, which one should never do. And uh, But at the end of lunch, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I hear you're unhappy in the casting department. I thought, oh, God, I'm going to get fired. And this man said, who I, I, I kind of knew, I didn't know his name. This man said, listen, we have a really big show. I need an assistant. Would you be willing to move from casting to, uh, to management? And I said, yes. Well, the show is a chorus line. And that opened up a lot of opportunity, a lot of, of, of uh, net networking ability. When, when you're a part of a show of that scale or that popularity, e- even the lowest job, um, everybody wants to know you and be your friend.
0: You could definitely deploy some of your philosophy degree. Indeed, indeed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so, Chris, how did you get in this business? And I've known you for many, many, many years. So, so tell us how you got in the business.
1: Um, I was a creative uh, writing um, major in college as an undergrad. I also had done um, creative writing. I did a lot of audio production, radio drama. So I knew how to write and I knew how to produce and I knew how to create. And two professors of mine started at that point um, a multimedia, which was kind of program slide business. And their first job was doing a kind of a museum show for Exxon. And so I was part of that team because I actually knew how to produce and create things like audio tracks and at that point program slideshows and they said oh this is going to be a great business but you need academic credibility because I only was I was only a, a grad student from you know a college so they said okay fine so I went to Boston University I got my master of science degree in broadcasting and film and by the time I Finished doing that, that company had gone out of business. So I came back to New York and uh, started looking for work. But because I knew how to do that kind of work, you know, creating audio, um, programming a bit. Um, Very few people knew how to do that kind of stuff. I was lucky enough to get um, uh, a job with Warren Doswell, who was, you know, kind of one of the icons of the industry early on. Did some work with Warren, did some work with John, and then, you know, got a job at Jim St. Andrea, and uh, and and it all took off uh, from there. Um, You know, I, I started on more like the technical and programming side, but I was always a creative guy, and I used the technical to actually make creative things happen.
0: That is a, using the technical to make creative things happen. I like that. So, so, Stephen, what's the most challenging part of this business? If you're going to produce events and you're going to have audiences, what's the most challenging part? Good question. I, you know, I think more
2: and more I'm seeing this. Um, I think the most challenging part for me is um, getting the client to determine, to focus in on what the real objective is. They may have ideas of what they think it should be, of what they want to do. A lot of times they'll come to you and say, you know, you know, I want to have a balloon drop. I'm making that up, but, but I want to do this, you know, but there's no understanding as to, um, whether or not the technologies that they want to use is the right way to deliver the message that they want to, to deliver. So, so I guess the most challenging part is getting them to focus in and, um, uh, making sure they understand how certain things are going to read to an audience. They may not read the way they think they are. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, so I think that's the challenging part.
0: Okay. And and Chris, what is your thought on this? And, and you've done shows of from 500 to 50,000, <laughs> you know, what, what do you think is the hardest part?
1: Um, I'd actually amplify a bit what Steven said. It's, um, trying to communicate to clients, um, what ex- what exactly are they trying to accomplish um, with, with the audience and their message? And uh, then it's kind of um, trying to connect reality to that. So in other words, they may have a message that they're trying to communicate. They may have a date that they need to do it. They have an audience that they're trying to uh, communicate that message to, and they may have a budget. Very rarely do all of those things align. So uh, I find that the, the, the difficult part is trying to get all of those points to intersect uh, where we can make the message right uh, for a specific audience, for the budget that, we, that they have uh, in the time frame that they've given us. Um, it, when we do that, it's magical, but it's also oftentimes very, very difficult to do because one of those things typically is not in alignment.
0: Got it. It's good to be in alignment. So, so Stephen, what is the most memorable show that you've worked on that you're super proud of? You're talking about it in the corporate world, in the special events world. It, it could be in any world. It can be in theater. It can be the corporate world. It could be it could be one you did when you were a high school person. You know, what are you most proud of in, in in our in our industry, so to speak, of what you worked on?
2: Yeah, you know it 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 may not it may not necessarily be the biggest show with the biggest budget. A few years ago, I produced one at one of the arenas in in uh, Vegas and we had these 12 huge screens with 10,000 square feet of projection surface, 96 million pixels as a canvas and three, three layers. So yes, grand and big and, and the spectacle, the spectacle of it was really, really cool. But um, some of the things that I really like are the ones that have more of an ability to move the audience, not necessarily with sparkle, with this, with this, spectacle, but with some kind of an emotion, as Chris mentioned, you know, getting them to feel something, whether it's uh, they're happy or they're sad or, you know, uh, I'll go back to some of my theater stuff in the past. Um, I think one of my favorite things that, that, that I've done was producing the Radio City Christmas show for 12, 12 years. There was nothing like, for whatever it was, there, there, there was nothing like um, watching the faces of, of the audiences, especially the kids, in, in seeing that, that wonder, that was an ama- amazing, experience. Cool.
0: So, so Chris, what are you most memorable show you're most proud of? And, uh, and I probably was there with you.
1: <laughs> you know, Les, you're probably thinking, Oh, it had to be uh, when we, when we did world of Watson with a giant festival and all that. Um, or you might be thinking when we moved um, think to San Francisco, we had, 27,000 people in San Francisco, but it's neither of those. I'm going to tell you two of my favorite shows. One was a pharmaceutical launch for, for a product that was for Alzheimer's disease. And um, it it was an, an emotional, a, a, the launch um, and the, and the story was told by the caregivers who were dealing with their spouses who were suffering through Alzheimer's and how little time they had with those um, with their spouses and the um, impact that this product that we were launching had on giving them some of time back to them that they wouldn't have had without it And we had Cindy Lauper come in and some some time after time. And this story just being told by those that are impacted was really, really emotional. The second one, which you're also not going to believe, was a a very small two projector slideshow that I did for National Geographic years and years ago, uh, where every single moment, every single word, every single image, uh, I took extreme care in crafting. um, And I just, I just. There was so much effort that went into it. I was so proud of it, even though it was just two projector slideshow in the narrative that it told and the impact that it had emotionally on people. So those two are my favorites, Les. The big ones are great. I love them and you love them too. But it, those two just moved me. Les,
2: what, what, what Chris is saying is so, so true. And what I think he's saying, and I'm saying too, is that the most important thing is to tell a story. You have to have that story, and that story has an arc, and that's going to move the, the, the audience and also give us, the creators, the satisfaction in being able to tell that story to the best
0: po- possible way. You know what's interesting about the storytelling concept is, you know, I'm a big technology person. I'm always promoting whatever the coolest technology is, but sometimes telling a story, sometimes the best storytelling is without technology. And I'm just curious if, if Chris, maybe you could uh, opine about that because sometimes people get lost in the technology and they forget the story.
1: Yeah, I I, I would ag- agree with that, Les. I start with story first, uh, always story first. Then I think about what's the best Way to tell that story, and that's when my um, my tech background comes into it, and my love of tech, because you know I love tech, comes into it where it it could be how we utilize the tech uh, to be able to do it, and 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 oftentimes again back to that one story with the Alzheimer's patient how we utilize the imagery behind that that um, those uh, caregivers to amplify what the story is the live orchestra that played underscores amplify that story right um, that to me was using technology to amplify the story to enhance the story and I think that, you know, ultimately, you start with the story. You find the best technology to help amplify and enhance that story. You use it in a way that makes sense. Uh, too many people, I think, use technology for technology's sake, and it it leaves it, it often leaves the audience empty. If you start with a great story and use the technology, I think you see examples of that where it really enhances it. Uh, um, Evan Hansen, for instance, it enhances the story. I've seen other shows where it's, it's, it just absolutely does not. It overpowers the story. That's right. Absolutely.
0: You know, you know it's interesting. Um, so technology seems to be the supporting cast of whatever the main uh, characters are. Um, so I'm going to throw this to Stephen. How much of what you produce, you know, the type of shows, gets your heart pumping and and uh, creates a sense of spectacle? Because you know, not all shows have that spectacle and and the energy associated with you know when you're you're going into something and and especially maybe when you the curtain is about to open for some whether it's a Broadway show or it's a big corporate event. So you know, how much of what? do you get to do a lot of spectacle and and if you do and whatever elements you do does that provide you some happiness
2: well you know there there's always an opportunity for spe- spectacle as chris said if if you want to force the spectacle in you can do it but um i i think that um the the most important part of a project for me with regard to power and emotion is what i would call the the, the opening experience. And I, I believe, and I think Chris, Chris does too, that, um, that that you have to find a way to take the audience off, off guard. You've got to make them understand that something very unique is going to happen now. You know, um, Hal Prince years ago said, said to me, if you don't get the audience in the first four minutes, you'll never get get them back. And that has stuck with me. And so I always try to make the opening moments of something really a powerful message to set the tone for
1: what's going to come. Yeah, I would agree, Stephen. I think that, I don't know if spectacle is the right word because... It, it's grabbing the audience. And in some cases, you know, Les, we've done a lot of spectacle in the past, and we've used everything to do it with fireworks and marching bands and gospel choirs and, and all kinds of technology. But but it's, it's, like Stephen said, it's grabbing the audience. And, and actually something Stephen and I had done together years ago started with a solo cellist on a stage with just light and a cello and some simple imagery. and that, It was powerful. Yeah. Powerful. It was powerful. I, I wouldn't call it spectacle. It was just powerful. And I think what what I've seen, Les, to be honest with you, is spectacle was much bigger in our industry years ago. And I think today people really want something that's more meaningful. I think our our clients uh, today uh, really have matured and they want something more than spectacle. They want something that really is going to amplify or reinforce their message. And it's it, you know, it can be big and it can be exciting, but if it's not rooted in their message, who, who cares? Um, they, they just don't care about it. In the, I think in the old days, it was okay to bring something in just for the pure entertainment value, just for the spectacle It within a meeting itself. Um, and I don't think that that flies quite the same today.
0: Very, very interesting what you guys are saying. So take me into the future, uh, Stephen, the future of the events business and what will be our new normal? <laughs> wow, that's a loaded question, Les.
2: Um, look, I, I, um, I'm optimistic in this sense. Um, if you look back at history in 1918, 19, and 20, there was the Spanish flu, and the world shut down, and the theater shut down, and the restaurant shut down, and the nightclubs, everything was closed. And once that pan- pandemic eased up and passed, Guess what? Everything came back, and in some cases, bigger and better—the Roaring Twenties, bigger and better. So, um, I I believe that um, we're right now in, in what you may you may want to call um, purgatory, the dark lim- limbo. I was going to say. So you're you're absolutely right, and, and and until a a a therapeutic or a vaccine um, is identified, and then at, as we've been discussing. It's not only identified, it's got to get into the population so, so that the people feel safe. Um, I think we're going to be in that limbo. And unfortunately, I think it's going to take a while. I think it may be 12 or eight, 18 months or so be before that happens. I think we just have to be uh, patient and, and, um, and
0: see how it goes. So, so, Chris, what, what size show are we going back to at some
1: time in the future? Now you can opine with your crystal ball. <laughs> well, th- you know what, Les? I think here's here's where it's going. Um, shows will never be the same, and that doesn't mean that it's bad. What's, what's happened and what we're in the process of, of, of now is this digital reinvention, right? So we're all… Now creating digital events. We've done, I don't know, over a hundred sessions since March. And the bottom line is we're all working and playing in this digital, in the digital domain. And as we move closer to hybrid, the digital, we're still going to be digital led and digital first, even in the hybrid world. But as we come out of it, you're going to not see digital go away. You're going to see parallel events. You're going to see that a that a live event and a digital event will happen at the same time. They're going to offer completely unique experiences, and you may want to participate in the digital event and not be at the live event, or you want to be at the live event and you don't necessarily want to participate in the digital event, and there will be intersection points. But, but I'll tell you this, every, every client that I've spoken to and their audiences want live, they want to go back to live, they will. But realize this, the digital is clearly going to be part of the experience as we move forward. And I don't think it will ever change. So we need to pay as much attention to the, the virtual end, the digital end, um, as we do the live event, it's just as we move back into it. Um, I think you're going to see s- smaller events. I think you're going to see them grow. I think you're going to see linked events. We're global now, by the way. This forced everybody to become global. The rug was pulled out, and everybody said they were global companies. They weren't. They did a live stream, and they hope people watched. But guess what happened when when this when this digital world happened? All of a sudden, you had hoping for twenty five thousand people. You ended up with one hundred and fifteen, and a lot of them were from all over the world. So now. Now you have a global audience that you never really had before, but now you have to pay attention to a global audience. You have to think global, you have to create global, you have to you have to do things very, very differently. So I think you're going to see, and we'll see what Stephen thinks, you're going to see linked global uh, uh, um, uh, events. Uh, you're going to see uh, digital as a strong component of that. And everybody's looking for the holy grail, which is, you know, how do we really make it more engaging than it is now?
0: Stephen, do you have any comment on the engagement that Chris referred to or the, the holy grail? <laughs> Not much more for me to add. Chris said it
2: exactly right. I think uh, people are, are dying to, to, to get back to live. There, there's, there's a humanness that you get from that live event that you can't get in a virtual world. But it is going to be combined from, from, from now on. And,
0: and Chris said it far, far better than I could. That's all good. So, guys, this is my last question. And, uh, boy, you guys have both been so insightful today. Um, So I'm going to throw this to Stephen. And and my last question, if somebody was going to school, whether they're high school, college, technical school, what would you do to encourage them? What would you tell them about our industry? Realizing it's virtual now, it's going to go back to live. What would you encourage them to do and the path for some future person that wants to be in the business?
2: Yeah, you know, When I speak to a lot of younger people, a lot of them don't don't even think that this this business exists. If, if they're going to college and they're studying the arts, they're, they're, they want to be in production, but they're thinking of theater. Um, I, I I think they need to get an understanding about how powerful the business is, how exciting the business is, and what I love about it is that I'm able to. Um, well, first you think in a very different way in the events world than in a the theater world, but, um, but, but you're able to combine the, 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 the creative teams of theater and live to, to make a, sp- a special event happen. What I would advise kids, and I do it, is to tell them to um, not necessarily go, go out and look for the job you want. Um, take the job that you're offered. Because one, you don't know what you're going to learn from there. And two, you don't know who you're going to meet from that job. Look at my experience with A Chorus Line. So, um, you know, uh, try to learn as much as you can and meet as many pe- uh, people. The, the, the choreographer on a, on a corporate show you may, may meet now might be a director of a Broadway show in a year. So just take the work, learn, and be as nice as possible. <laughs>
0: Chris, your thoughts on what you would tell someone, an aspiring student?
1: Um, yeah, I, I exactly what Stephen said. And and you know what, Les, back to the, the beginning, when I came back after graduate school and I really wanted to come back and, and direct film, realized that it was way too um, narrow a path. And what I love about this business is you're not you're not put into small boxes. You're not. You don't have to take a, a narrow path. So I could do things when in the beginning I could program. I could do audio. I could write. I, I could stage manage. I could do anything. And what what I would and that's what I loved about this business to begin with. You could you could try anything. You could you could be what you wanted to be. So I would recommend, and I do to kids uh, if they're coming into this business. I agree with Stephen. Find a way in. Try everything. Discover what your passion is. Uh, I find what I love about our industry and this business is this business is really diverse and it's really inclusive. And people are really willing to to, to help in any way they can. So if you can get in, like Steven says, if you can get in and you can get a job, any job keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, try everything until you can discover what your passion is. And when you do, you actually have the ability in this industry to go pursue it. It's up to you. And there's nothing that would stop you from being hugely successful if you put in the time and you put in the effort.
0: Guys, the wisdom between the two of you is infinite. And uh, I think anyone listening uh, to hear your thoughts on our industry and you know what the the elements of it and what makes it great, and pursuing your passion is simply the best advice I've heard. And uh, I want to thank Stephen and Chris for joining me today. You both are amazing people. The uh, types of shows that I've gotten to work on with you over the many years are simply just fascinating as well as rewarding. And uh, I learned a little bit about storytelling today. And you guys, take care, stay safe, healthy. And uh, we will go back to some form of our new worlds uh, as, the, as the vaccine comes out. And uh, thanks again for joining today. And this is Les Goldberg and The Road Ahead. Thanks, Les. Thank you, Les.